Thank you so much, Jill. And leading us in prayer today, you know, it's confession is, confession is not just good for the soul, it's essential to your spiritual life. Confession of our sin. And we've all sinned and come short of God's glory, haven't we? Amen. And we all need forgiveness and cleansing and healing because it's only found in Jesus for all of us. If you open your Bible today, we're in the fourth chapter of the book of Romans. If you're a guest today, then I encourage you to follow along. Those that are online, we encourage you to open your copy of God's Word and follow along as well. We're in the fourth chapter of Romans. We have been in Romans for a while and will continue to be in Romans for a while. But isn't it interesting that when you walk through a book of the Bible, that all the Bible comes to life as you study it. And so we're looking at Romans chapter 4. We're going to begin today with uh, verse number 1. So that's where our text will be today, Romans 4. We're going to look at the first five verses together. Let's read them now. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but something owed. But the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today speak to our hearts through your word. Father, as we study it together, I pray that, Lord, that your spirit would, would Father, reveal in us things that are wrong and sinful, attitudes and understanding and thoughts about you that are not correct. That, Father, that you would confirm what we know to be true. And, Father, that you would lead us to deeper dependence and faith upon you. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you in the name of Jesus to move among us and in us. Comfort, convict, change our hearts. Father, today may your name be honored and may the name of Jesus be lifted high. Lord, the many things that want to distract us even right now in this moment, we realize are not worthy to distract us from what you want to say. So, God, I pray right now we would set it aside, cast our burdens on you, and look unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul revisits themes and truths by way of illustration. Today's sermon title is Sola Fide, means faith alone. And our justification is by faith not our works, and he illustrates this in chapter number four. He's illustrating this great truth, and he takes two characters from the illustrious past of the nation of Israel, Abraham and King David. We're going to look at Abraham today. In the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew says, this is the account of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. The most important king of all of Israel was David, and the father of all the patriarchs is Abraham. And Paul's teaching method here is what we would call a polemic or diatribe. It's the using of argument and reasoning with question and answer. In chapter number four, he's illustrating these truths that he has given us in verses three, chapter three, verse 27 to 31. 
And he is giving us in chapter 4 an exposition of what he said in chapters 3, verses 27 to 31. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at Romans 4, the first eight verses, it's an exposition of chapter uh, 3, verse 27. Because he says in chapter 3, verse 27, where then is boasting, it's excluded. By what kind of law? By the one of works? No, on the contrary, the law of faith. And so verses 1 to 8 of chapter 4 is an exposition of what he said in chapter 3, verse 27. Verses 9 to 12 in chapter 4 is an exposition of what he says in chapter 3, verse 29 and 30. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. So the first eight verses have to do with there's no place for boasting. The second verses 9 through 12 have to do with circumcision versus uncircumcision, that there's no difference. It's about believing. And then in verse number 30, chapter 3, verse 31, is an exposition of that is found in verses 13 through 17, where he says, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so Paul talks about the role of the law and a right understanding of it. So why is Paul revisiting these themes? Number one, we are slow to remember and learn, aren't we? I've told you a million times, you know, and so it takes a while to get it into our head, right? And so uh, Paul is revisiting and illustrating this again. Secondly, we easily drift back into a works understanding of salvation if we're not careful. And that we think our standing before God is based on your performance. It is not. Your standing before God is based on the performance of Jesus, not yours. Thirdly, he loved Jewish people. And he's trying to help them understand. These believing Jews, they... They might have wondered, then what did the Old Testament mean for us as Jews? And Paul's going to help them understand this. And he, as a matter of fact, says, listen, those who've rejected the gospel, they, are, they have their hearts veiled and they can't see the truth. And the only way they see the truth is when they embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so as an essential doctrine, salvation is based not on our works, but we are justified by grace through faith. Today's attitude is, well, I don't think we ever should argue about a doctrine. We just need to simply preach the gospel and love one another. That's not Paul's attitude. Paul said, I want you to get this down right, get it down big. It's important what we believe about God and what we believe about being saved. And Paul uses this argumentative, and I don't mean that in a negative way, reasoning by asking these questions. Chapter 3, verse 27, where then is boasting? Notice what he says, verse number 29, chapter 3, verse 29, or is the God of God of Jews only? Or verse number 31, do we nullify the law through faith, asking the question. Chapter 4, verse 1, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Chapter 4, verse number 3, for what does the scripture say? Chapter 4, verse number 9, is this blessing only for the circumcised then? See how he asks the questions and then he uses us to teach. And that's what Paul's doing. Now, Paul here understand in chapter number four, he assumes a familiarity with Old Testament scripture, particularly David and, and, and Abraham. So he's proving the message that the Old Testament and New Testament has the same message. It's not a different message. It's one covenant of grace. They're not two Bibles, the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's one Bible. And all of the Bible points to the same truth in God. One gospel. And the Old Testament points to Jesus. And the New Testament explains Jesus. But it's all men are saved by Jesus alone. Amen. Amen.
So let's look in our passage for today. And so uh, first of all, in verse number one, what shall we, will we, will we say that, uh, what then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What about Abraham? What did he find? First of all, who is Abraham? Let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, who is Abraham? He says he's our forefather according to the flesh. Jewish heritage comes through Abraham. All Jews are descendants of Abraham. Now, you're going to need your Bible today, and we're going to be in the book of Genesis. And so if you look with me to Genesis chapter number 11, do you have your Bible? Turn it on and follow along with me. We'll have some of these on the screen, not all of them. And so uh, Genesis chapter number 11 and verse number 31. Terah took his son Abram, that's Abraham before he, God changes his name, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son's Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Where's Haran? That's in Padam Aram. It is, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So Terah, Abram's father, intended to go to Canaan, but he stops and he stays in Aram, near Haran, and there Abram and all of his family is there with her father, and Terah dies there. But they don't go on to Cana. And so who is Abraham? He is the son of Terah. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 26, verse 5, that, that our father, we are to say our father is a wandering Aramean, what it says, he went down to Egypt, just a few. It says, he went down to Egypt with a few people and resided there as an alien, and there he became a great and powerful populous nation. So understand, you're to respond by saying, in the presence of the Lord, our father was a wandering Aramean. That's an unusual term, isn't it? Because Aram, that's where we get the word Aramean, those from Padam, Aram, Arameans, Syrians, we would understand. So Abram and his family was from Syria. And so, but originally they were from the Ur of the Chaldees. So near Babylon. And so God has moving them toward Canaan. So this is who Abraham and his family is. But he is called by God, not because he's more deserving, not because he's more righteous, not because he's more holy. As a matter of fact, Abram's family was a family of idol worshipers. But Abram heard the call of God in his life. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your father's land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Wow, this would take trust, right? And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Now, I've known a lot of 75-year-old people in my life. And they're not really embracing change all that rapidly. I understand this better and better. But Abram did go. And where did he go? He went where God told him to go. And he took Sarah, his nephew Lot, all his possessions. They accumulated the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Abraham was called by God. It was God's sovereign call, God's election of him. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He wasn't better than the other people. God, in his sovereignty, called him. I don't know why God called me to be saved, but I know that he did. Amen. 
And I don't know why he called you to be saved, but I know that he did. And I know that God's still calling people unto salvation. And some today are right here in this room and you hear him and he's speaking. Do not delay. Abraham trusted God. Not only did he go to this land in Canaan, but now he's 75 years old. Sarah is uh, unable to have any children, and they've not been blessed with a child. And, and God says to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And notice this, this Abrahamic covenant in chapter 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That's a servant. He said, my closest friend is my servant. And all of my wealth will go to him. Abram continued, look, you've given me no offspring. So a slave born to my house will be my heir. The word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Wow. And he took him outside and he said, I want you to look at the sky and count the stars. How long would that take? And he said, if you are able to count them, he said, your offspring will be that numerous. Now, don't miss this next verse. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Wow. Abram believes him. And he said, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord, how can I know that I will possess it? And so the Lord then leads Abram to fall asleep. And there, there are these animals that are cut in half. And, and it's, it is a covenant when two people would walk between the corpses. The two of them are agreed in covenant with each other that this will take place. But he sees in this, in this picture... In verse, in verse number 17, and the sun had set and it was dark and a smoking pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, I give this land to your offspring, where? From the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenanite, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hithites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. No mention of termites, but there's a, a large list here. Aren't you glad you weren't called on to read that in Sunday school class? He said, I'm going to give you this, and I am... I am giving you this, and I'm swearing by myself. The smoking pot goes between the corpses. It's a covenant that God makes with himself, that he will make Abraham's descendant as numerous as the stars and give them an inheritance in the land. Wow. And it says Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. It, Chapter number 17, again, the Lord visits Abram, and he is a man, not only he trusted God, but he obeyed God. And trust shows itself in obedience, and God gives him a sign and a seal of this covenant relationship with him. And he says in chapter number 17, verse 2, I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. And Abraham fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but your name will be Abraham, the father of many nations. For I will make you the father of many nations, and I'll make you extremely fruitful, 
and will make nations and kings come from you. And I will confirm my covenant that's between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It's a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring. And to you and to your future offspring, I will give the land where you're residing, all of the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession. And I will be their God. Wow. He says, I am going to make this for you for all generations. It's a covenant between you and me, and it will be everlasting. He says, I'm going to change your name, and now you're going to be the father of many nations, and Sarah's name, and she will now be called princess. And I am going to bless you incredibly. In verse number 10, he says, this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. And you must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. And you do this through all, all generations. And notice in verse number 23, so Abram took his son Ishmael and those born to his household or purchased every male among the members of Abram's household and he circumcised the flesh of the foreskin on that very day just as God had said to him. Did you know there are a lot of conversations that aren't recorded in the Bible? I can only imagine the conversations this day. Abram, Abraham is 99 years old. God, let me get this right. You want me to do what? 99. He goes to Ishmael. Ishmael's 14. How many of y'all ever had a 14-year-old? Son, I want to talk to you about what we're going to do today. Don't think that would go so well. Takes a flint knife. Not a surgical scalpel. I can only imagine that there might have been a conversation like this. I've heard from God on this, boys. Don't argue with me. Pop, are you sure? Could you maybe inquire again? And Abraham said, I'm sure. And all the rest of the men said, if God's spoken, we will obey. Some of you balk getting baptized. That's nothing compared to this. Some of you balk at tithing. Some of you just balk at being obedient. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. He completely trusted in him. In Genesis chapter 22, indeed God's promises come true, and Abraham and, and, and Sarah have a little boy. He's the love of their life. He is a miracle child, and that miracle child's name is Isaac. In chapter 22, verse 1, we are moving on to holy ground here. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey he took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac, and he split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked and saw the place in the distance. And Abraham said to the young man, young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and we will come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he laid it on his son Isaac. 
And in his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. And Isaac spoke with his father. Abraham said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. Hey, the fire and the wood we have here. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abram answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. Faith never tested is faith never proved. And Abraham's faith is tested. But in the middle of the test, he said, God will provide. His one and only son looks at him and said, Pop, did we forget something? Because we got the wood and we got the rope and we got the knife and we got the oil. But Pop, we don't have a sacrifice. And he said, God will provide. And he lays him on the wood and he builds the altar out of stones. And Isaac lays on the wood and the oil is poured on the wood. And the father's about to take his knife and plunge it into the sun. And God stays his hand. And there's a ram in the thicket. And he said, now I know that you hold nothing back from me. He said, release the boy and sacrifice what I provided. <laughs> and he said, he is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And God ultimately did provide the sacrifice by sending his own son to die on a stick of wood to pay for all of our sins forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. What a savior we have. Amen? This is the kind of man that Abraham is. In Hebrews chapter number 11, if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter number 11, these episodes are recounted in that great book of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, look with me, verse number 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for the place that he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he's going, right? That's Abraham. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even Sarah herself, when she's able to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age. She considered that the one who promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the skies and innumerable as the grains of the sand on the seashore. Amen. Verse 17, by faith, Abram, when he was tested, offered Isaac, and he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. They considered God able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Man of faith, Abraham. But not only that, Abraham is the father of all who trust in God. So if you have your Bible, again, look with me to the book of Galatians. In chapter number three, in verse number six, and just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, you know then that it is those who have faith These are Abraham's sons. 
Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, now listen, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Everybody who has faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are sons of Abraham too. Amen. We are children of promise. We're heirs in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, how was Abraham justified? I'm glad you asked. Look back. Now, we are back in Romans again, all right? So, chapter number four, verse number two. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Was Abraham justified by works? No way. He was not justified by works. Otherwise, he would have something to boast about. There's no room for boasting. In chapter 3, verse number 27, Paul earlier says, where then is boasting? It's excluded. There's no place for boasting because we don't work or earn our salvation. You have been saved in such a way that no man may boast in his presence, it says in 1 Corinthians. We are saved in such a way that it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All the bragging goes to King Jesus for our salvation. And not our good works. Secondly, how was Abraham justified? Not by works, but he was by believing, by trusting. Verse number three, notice, in, look with me in your Bible. Verse number three, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now he believed in him. Belief is a response to trust. By trusting in him. It's our response to God's grace. We trust in him. We believe that he, what he has said and we trust in him. A very interesting uh, verse. If you look with me to John's gospel, chapter 3. This is not in your notes. It's, it's just extra. You don't have to pay extra for this. John chapter 3, verse number 33. Listen to what he says. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. He, he's speaking of himself. He says, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who's from earth is earthly. But the one who comes from heaven is above all, verse 31. He testifies to what has been seen and heard Yet no one accepts his testimony. But the one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. Now the word accepted there means certified. It means sealed, maybe your translation says, which I think it's better. It says you, you've, you've accepted and affirm and certify and it's sealed. It's a sealed testimony that this is true. Recently, I sold something. I sold a car. And when I sold the car, I had to affix my signature to a title. And I put, had to put that I was the owner, that there was no lien against this car, that the mileage on the odometer, what the accurate reading of that was. And I sold it with, along with a bill of sale to another man that I didn't know but I'd only met through the internet and I sold it to him in St. Louis and we met at a bank and I sold my car and I fixed my signature to that document and said what I testify, I testify before the law and you that it's true. I fixed my seal that what I say is that this is true. When a person comes to put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is a solemn act, and you affix the seal of your life and say, I believe that it's true, exactly what God said about Jesus Christ, his son. It's no easy believism here. It's a solemn act of trust. In Jesus Christ alone. 
Romans 10.10 says, the one who believes with the heart results in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. It's simple trust. It's simply trusting and believing. It is not a work that earns your salvation. There are many Jewish authors that in Jesus' day, in Paul's day, and even before them, they taught that Abraham was justified by his works, that he earned God's favor. Paul said, no, that's exactly wrong. He believed, and it was credited to his account as righteousness. The word credited is an accounting term. It's been accounted, put into his account, his righteousness. You see, there's two ways to earn money in your account. One by wages, and the other is a gift. And these two are incompatible. You either work and earn it, or you got it from a gift. But you don't get a gift if you earned it. Does that make sense? You see, when you work, your employer then is obligated. He's indebted to you. But if it's a gift, there's no obligation. You see, your salvation is through faith. It's believing God, but it's by grace. Notice in verse number four, look with me to Romans chapter four. Don't miss this. Now to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift. Uh, That's verse four. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and that's a popular translation, but actually the word that is used here is the word for grace. And it says, it pay is not credited as grace, but as something owed. The New King James translates it, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. Work merits pay, reward. There's a right to be paid. It belongs to you. You earned it. And the worker has the right to say, you owe me. But that's not how we were saved. Now I'm going to ask Matthew to come up here for a minute. I'm going to use him as a guinea pig today. This Matthew today, all right. Matthew, I... I had a lot of snow at my house, and I had to shovel snow two days in a row. Christy wouldn't do it. (laughs) Now, this ugly stick here, Matthew, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to shovel my drive for me? Uh, Do I have to walk? Yeah, yeah, you have to walk, you have to shovel, you got to work. Okay, now... Just play along with me, all right? All right, all right. so Matthew, I'm going to put you to work right back here for a minute, and I want you to just be pretending he's shoveling. Is he shoveling? Because I don't don't want to pay him if he's not working. All right, so I want him to work hard. Now, understand, when he's working, he's earning it. Don't dump it on me now, dude, all right? Now, when you work, you're always wondering, is this good enough? Am I going to do a good job? Is he going to pay me? Is he going to tip me? Thank you. And so, uh, and so he's, he's shoveling, and I want to know. And then I'm wondering, how good is he going to clean my, you know, how good does he want to clean? And then Matthew might be looking around and say, does he want the sidewalks done? Does he want the sidewalk to the door done? Yes, I do. And do you want, how about the sidewalk down to the neighbors? And, and so he, I'm wanting Matthew to shovel. How about that lower garage area? That's a bull you know, a hard thing to do. And he said, you know, yeah. And so he's wondering about all those things. Will it be good enough? Matthew, when you get done, come on over. Matthew's done. He's worked hard. He's sweating. <laughs> and this is what I say. Matthew, did you, do you, did you finish? Yeah. Finished great. What I owe you? Uh, five Bitcoin. Yeah, five bit- <laughs> Bitcoin. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. And so I'll get my Bitcoin wallet out of here and pay you, all right? So now, if I paid him, he has a right to it. B, 
because I'm obligated. He did the work. He deserves to pay. And Matthew, I would gladly pay you if you did that. But when it comes to our salvation, it's nothing like that. Because the only way Matthew can come is not with a tool and not with a work. The only way he can come is bankrupt and empty and said, I need a savior. And that's in Jesus Christ alone. You can go, Matthew. Thank you for being my guinea pig today. Does that make sense to you? You see, when you've working for your salvation, you're always trying to earn favor, but you never know if you're quite good enough and you never know if you're going to please and you're never sure if you've satisfied. But when you don't have anything to bring, you come and say, all of my righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm broke. I'm destitute. I'm helpless. And that's how we're saved. August Toplady wrote in a hymn many years ago, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross. I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. My friends, quit trying to earn your God's love and favor. Your salvation is based on grace, and it's the work of God for you and for me. How am I, was Abraham justified? It was God's own doing. And that's how God justifies us. He declares, notice what he says in, in Romans chapter number four again. It says, no one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. The word translated ungodly could be translated wicked. It's a very strong word. His faith is credited for righteousness. God declares the guilty, the unjust, the ungodly, and the wicked to be clean. Because he saved us not by righteous works that we have done. He saved us not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How can God justly declare just those who have their faith in Jesus? Because he's done the work of salvation for us in the cross. In chapter 3, verse 24, they are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as the mercy seat, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over those previously committed. Our salvation is the atoning work of Jesus Christ for me. Not your work, his work. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. He took all of God's wrath and he paid for our sin in full. And his blood washes us cleansed from all of our sin. And that's how we're counted righteous. I want you to picture for a moment. Cloaked and shrouded in sin. Separated from God, all of your shame and guilt, torment of mind and heart. 
in my sinfulness. And what if God's remedy for you was to take a shower? Just imagine with me. So you undress yourself. You feel so ashamed of your life and your sin, your failures, your lies, your adultery, your idolatry, your greed, your lies, your greed, your, your coveting, your jealousy, your, all of it. The shame of your birth, the shame of your parents, the shame of generational sin, the shame of how you murdered others with your tongue, the shame of abortion, the shame of it all. Let's imagine when you get in the shower, you turn on the faucet and the shower head starts raining on you and you're aghast. It's, it's not clean water, it's, it's dark. It's red, it's blood. No, as the blood falls on your skin, as it rolls off, all the guilt rolls off, and all the shame rolls off, and all the adultery rolls off, and all the idolatry rolls off, and all the disturbed things in your mind, and as you wash yourself, you, there's no age spots, there's no wrinkles, <laughs> hallelujah, it's healing from head to toe. All the blemishes, all the scars, all the spots, all the guilt, all the shame, you're clean like never before. The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. The Bible tells us it's not the blood of bulls or goats that can remove sin. But we have been redeemed, not by perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb unblemished and spotless. How are you made right? It's the last point today, and I'll have to just hurry. I've already really covered it. How are you made right with God? Chapter, chapter number 3, verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no distinction. You're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Jesus. God presented him as a mercy seat by his blood through faith. Chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to what the scripture says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are justified not by our deeds, not by the law, but by grace through faith. Today, I want you to listen to me. My time is gone. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. I want you to come unto him and be saved. I want you to look to him, to trust in him. Many, many years ago, on a Sunday morning, when there was a blizzard in London, and all the churches nearly were closed. One young man, teenage boy, trudged through the snow looking for a church that was open and found a small storefront Methodist church where the preacher didn't even show up and a layman was preaching. And he took as his text, 
Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. As the man preached, he didn't have many points. He wasn't very good public speaker, but he kept walking around the church building. Said, he said, look unto me. He said, you don't have to work to look. You don't have to do deeds to look. There's no cost to look. There's no requirement to look. It doesn't take any effort to look. Look to me and be ye saved. And he looked at that young teenager and he said, young man, you look right miserable to me. Look unto him and be ye saved. And it's like the heavens were opened. And on that day, with a handful of people in a Methodist church under the preaching of a layman, Charles Hedden Spurgeon gave his life to Jesus Christ, one of the greatest preachers in the last 200 years. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. For Jesus shed his precious blood, rich blessings to bestow. Plunge now into the crimson blood that washes white as snow. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. Father, thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's true. It's life-changing. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ, today I pray they will repent and turn to Jesus and look to him and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.